And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of John, chapter 1. And we're actually just going to look at one verse in John, but I want you to see it with your own eyes because it's kind of a foundational one that we're going to see today. So don't go to 1 John, but go to John 1, and we're going to be there in just a moment. So we started this series, Against All Odds, by talking about some of the prophecies that were given about Jesus. Now, at the time, we didn't you know, they didn't know his name was Jesus. It was just simply the Messiah, the one who was going to come. And these were given by a prophet named Isaiah. And here's the thing, 700 years before Jesus was even born, and in the very first week, we looked at the probability of this even happening. Over 300 prophecies about the Messiah. And the odds of fulfilling even just a few of them are just staggering. And Jesus fulfilled every single one. And against all odds, we realize that he's the God of the impossible. He's the one that can can work in when we think it's done. He's the one who who can step in when we think there's no hope in this. Jesus is the one that makes it all possible. He's true and he keeps his promises. And you can count on him. He's true to his word because it's who he is and it's how he is. And so as you think about some of the things in your own life that you've written off, right? I'll never be any different. I'll never get over this addiction. I'll never be able to get on top of this problem or this issue. You know, my marriage is is over and done. I mean, we have all these things that we think, ah, count me out. I don't know that anything can change. And the God of the impossible can step in and make a difference. So we've been looking at Isaiah, some of these prophecies, and today we're going to unpack Uh, one more of these. And and it's this phrase that was used that he was like a lamb, like like a sheep. And it seems like an odd thing to say. So we're going to go to Isaiah 53, 7. I want you to see this on the screen. Here Here was the prophecy. It says, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. Now, last week we looked at the kind of humble and silent part of that, and this week we're just simply going to look on this whole idea that he was a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And when you think about the Messiah, the one who was going to come to be the rescuer and the king and the Lord of Lords, and you think, whoa, whoa, whoa he, he's going to get slaughtered? I mean, it's not the kind of phrase that we like to dwell on. We we usually don't put phrases like that on three by five cards and say, oh yeah, slaughter. I mean, it, it's a violent word. It's harsh and it's undeserved in this case. And of course, the question is, why was Jesus called the lamb? I mean, what, what's that all about? And why did he have to go through a slaughter? Like, what was the purpose in that? And here's the crazy thing. Even though this was prophesied thousands of years ago, and Jesus was here 2,000 years ago, this is relevant for us today in the spring of 2023. It's relevant for your life and mine that he was the lamb of God. Now this, this word lamb, this name lamb, is not really a, a nickname or a descriptor that most people would want. Can you imagine a wrestler named the lamb? Like you just, you just don't see that happen. We, we, like, we like names that express strength and power, right? Like The Rock. 
I see that. We're like, yeah, the rock, there's something tough about that. Or, or like Hulk Hogan, like he's the Hulk. There's something in that that's so powerful. Nacho Libre, right? It just <laughs> inspires confidence, right? And that's not, that's not all. I mean, what about like Dave the Slammer, right? Yeah. I know some of you are going, is, it, is that Photoshop? And I just want to tell you, no, it's not. And it deeply hurts that you laughed at that, but other than that. So, so think, about, think about your names, right? Because you have, you have a name, but, but all of us have more than that. Some of it related to title and, and position or, or characteristics or even character. I know I, know I do. So my, my given name is David, but I go by Dave a lot. Um, and my mom's side of the family, because uh, my middle name is Eric, so I was always David E. And anytime around my mom's side of the family, they still call me Hey, it's David E. And it's like, oh man, you, you can't get away from some of those names, right? You got when you were kids. Um, some of my kids call me dad. My son calls me pops. My grandson calls me papa. I've been called hey you a lot. Um, when I was in high school, you know, your last name was kind of your name. Larson, get over here. You know, okay, you know, you did those kinds of things. My son's best friend, his name is Mondo. And he calls me Flava Dave, which I think is awesome. It's like a rap name or something that I don't deserve. And he works at Costco. And so if you're ever in Costco and you hear someone yell out Flava Dave, I'm there. I'm there. Uh, I've run a, a number of half marathons uh, over the years. And they now have a division if you are male and you're over 200 pounds. And, and they have a name for it. And it's called the Clydesdale Division. And I remember when I first saw that, it's like, great, thank you. That really makes me feel so much better that I'm named after a big giant horse. Uh, but I've been called a few other names over the years, probably like you have, that I can't share publicly. Uh, but our names say something about us. More than vowels and consonants, more than just uh, a tonal quality that we go, oh, hey, they must be talking about me. Names speak of something different, of our character, of our position could be of our calling. And I know we don't think about that much anymore, but in the past, names carried weight and insight about a person. So I did some research, and I want to share with you some of the names that are ascribed to Jesus. And these aren't all the names, but it maybe gives you a, a feel and a flavor for just how broad and how diverse and, and how strong these names are when you think about Jesus. So these are some of the names given to him. But he's the Alpha and the Omega, which in Greek is the beginning and end of the alphabet. So it'd be like us saying, he's the A and the Z, the beginning and the end. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the bread of life. He's the beloved son, the chief shepherd, the cornerstone, day spring, the first begotten son, the holy one, Emmanuel, son of man, son of God, the swift sure hand, morning star. He's the prince of peace. And he's not the rock, he's our rock. And then he's the lamb of God. 
And I don't know about you, but that just seems to like, where in the world does that fit? So to understand it, we have to go all the way back to the Old Testament when God's people were slaves in Egypt. And God had promised to deliver them, and the Bible says that they were, they were literally groaning under the weight of slavery and oppression. And so God called Moses to be his spokesman. And, and Moses went to the Pharaoh. Some of you know the story. Maybe you've seen the movies, Ten Commandments or whatever. He goes to the Pharaoh on behalf of God, and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. So the Lord sent a series of plagues into Egypt to move the heart of the Pharaoh, and it was a battle of wills. Different things would happen, and these plagues would come, and Pharaoh would say, enough, enough, enough. I I, I don't want to do it anymore. Whatever you say. And then Moses would step in on behalf of God. It was all God's power. Moses would step in on behalf of God, and the plague would end, and then Pharaoh would go, nah know, not so much anymore. I don't want to do that. And so they went back and forth, back and forth until after a time had gone by, they came to the final plague. And this was the most devastating. The final plague was that the firstborn in every family would die. Now understand, God had warned and warned time and time again, gave them the chance to let the people go, but it was met with stiff opposition. So God had Moses tell the people Tell God's people, the nation of Israel, to prepare for this one night when death would come. And what they were to do was to take a sinless, perfect, spotless lamb and to sacrifice it. Now, this wasn't the lamb that was leaning up against the fence post and had one eye, you know, kind of half shut and, you know, one leg wasn't working good. It's like, well, who cares? You know, like, let's give the bad one away. No, 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 no. He says, you take the perfect one no blemishes, completely spotless, like the cream of the crop, and you sacrifice it. And then what you do is you take some of that blood and you would put it on the doorposts of your home and on the lintel above. Now think about that, two here, one here. And I thought about this, if you did something like that, again, we don't, we don't do things like that, but imagine if you did and Really only on this one would blood drip down on the threshold. So now you have kind of like a cross. It says you would put that blood on there. And with that sacrifice, death would pass over your home. There would be protection and covering. The sacrifice of that lamb would, would rescue you and the people were set free and led to new places of life and blessing. And so when we think about the Passover that is celebrated even today, we see it more as a noun, it's an event, it's a thing that happens, and it is. But it literally is the phrase that death would pass over because of the sacrifice. Nearly 1,500 years later, Jesus is born. And he grows and he works as a carpenter with his family. And as he nears 30 years old, he begins to teach and proclaim the kingdom of God. And in the very beginning stage of this, John the Baptist sees him. And in John 129, if you're there in the book of John, here's this verse I want you to see. Verse 29 says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, look, older versions say, behold, 
Like everyone pay attention here, hang on here, because the, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now Jesus hadn't been called that before. That hadn't been a descriptor or a title. And John, under the work of the Holy Spirit, was making this connection between the Passover perfect lamb that saved the people, and here he is now, the lamb of God, who's come to guard and protect us, to give us a way out, to rescue us and reunite us with the Father. Jesus is the perfect sinless one. God's own son sent to pay the price with his life for the forgiveness of my sin and yours. The lamb of God gave up his life on a cross, his bloodshed, top and sides, so that we could be set free from the slavery of sin, that we could be liberated from bondage and adopted into a new family. Jesus is the lamb of God. When you think, but but that Isaiah passage says he was, he was slaughtered. Like, 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 why? Like, what's going on there? So I'm gonna give you a couple things. I want you to write these down. First is this. Jesus is the lamb who was sacrificed for me. Sacrificed for me. See, there's a payment that had to be paid for my sin. And Jesus' death is the Lamb of God that takes away our sin is the ultimate demonstration, I want you to hear this, the ultimate demonstration of God's great love for us. Here's what John wrote, and this is in 1 John. He said, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away or to pay for our sins. This is real love. He became the sacrifice for us. He loved us that much. To put it simply, I think we sometimes struggle to comprehend the kind of love that God has for us because he loves us beyond our, our understanding. So I want you just for a moment, I want you to think of the person that you love the most. You love the most. If you're sitting with your family right now, they're all looking at you going, okay, which one of us is it, right, you know? So it, it can be a group of people, right? You know, maybe, maybe your spouse, your kids, grandkids. Here's what I, where I want you to kind of put it into focus. The people that you would say, no matter what they did, no matter whether they earned it or proved it or anything like that, I'd give my life for them. I'd give my life for them. You know those people in your life? They mean everything to you. Now I know we all come from different places and you know, every family has their own dysfunctions and all those kinds of things, but those people that, that mean the world to you, I want you to think about them for a moment. I think about my wife, Gina, and man, she's, she truly is the love of my life. There are so many things about her that she is incredibly smart and she's beautiful and she's funny and I love her laugh and, and the giftedness that she has and she cares deeply and she feels deeply. I think I've shared this before. Uh, we've been sometimes at events where there's you know, a lot of different people. You know, if you go over to somebody's house and they've got you know, different people and, and you're just talking to people and hanging out a little bit and we've had so many of those times and we're like driving home and she'll go, oh, did you see so-and-so? I said, yeah, I talked to him for a minute. Man, they're sure doing well. And she'll look at me, she's like, are you kidding? Didn't you see, couldn't you just feel? that They're hurting, there's something going on. And I'm like, 
No, didn't catch any of that because I'm here like skimming over the surface like, hey, everything's good, everything's great. And my wife, she's taking the deep dive going, oh, you could just feel. There's something about her that just, there's so, so much empathy and care and deepness. I love that about her. And when you think of the people in your life, there's a reason why you love those people. Now, it could be because they're blood relatives and there's that sense of, man, that's family and family is everything. Maybe it's that you see certain qualities in them that make them lovable, like goodness and kindness or a sense of humor or, or loyalty. Or if it's your child, maybe you even see a reflection of yourself or of your spouse or family members. See, even though we're capable of great love, here's the thing. We tend to love those who are most lovable. We do. So some of you, as you're thinking about people, you, you might have even thought that, you know, if push came to shove, if we were in a horrible situation or something was going on, I would literally give up my life for them, right? But when you're going through Target or the grocery store or whatever, and you pass someone in the aisle, if I was to stop you and go, would you give up your life for them? You'd go, I don't, I don't know them. Like, I don't know anything about them. Like what? I mean, I'd feel bad, but I, I just don't know that I can do that. But here's the deal, God knows each of us personally and intimately. The Bible talks about how he knows the hairs on our head are numbered and he knows the thoughts in our brain before we think them. I mean, God knows the depths of us and his love is different. First, his love is incomparably greater than any love that we could ever have. I mean, it's just that big. And he says there's no place we can go to escape from his love, nowhere. But the second part is that God's love isn't based on anything we've done. It, it's not us trying to earn our way or to be worthy enough for his love. See, God doesn't love you because you're lovable. And that, that can be a really, you know, if, if you're lovable and have all those qualities, that's really great. But if you've struggled with those things, it, it tends to feel like, well, I guess I'm on the outs. Like there's nothing I can do. But God doesn't love because you're lovable. He doesn't love because you've jumped through all the hoops or because you've somehow earned it or proven yourself. He loves you because he is love at the very core of his being. And he was willing to become the ransom and the sacrifice for us out of that love. So regardless of anything you do or anything that happens to you, his love will never change. He can't love you more and he will not love you less. Here's what Peter wrote. He said, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it wasn't paid with mere silver or gold, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. He did that for you. The sacrifice was for you and for me. Write this down for number two. Jesus is the lamb who made forgiveness possible made forgiveness possible. You know, for, for virtually all of us in this room, if someone does something little, you know, bumped you or whatever, they go, oh, sorry, you go, hey, no problem, right? It's usually not a big deal. But you know the deeper things that really, man, they're just tough. And you maybe come to places of forgiveness. I know I have. But I will tell you, and you already know this, forgiveness is a journey because you can forgive and then it's like, uh, but there's stuff still there. And so you continue to walk that road of forgiveness and it's really hard. But God says that his forgiveness is true, first of all, and it's full. 
Like there's, there's no levels to it. And that sounds at one level kind of too good to be true. And there's a part of me that says it doesn't even sound fair, does it? For me to sin, for you to sin, and then to go free, like to be fully forgiven. There's that part of us, even though we like the way that sounds, we go, well, somebody should have to pay for what's, what's been done. There should have to be some, hey, like someone's got to pay the price of, of that, whatever it is. It seems only fair. And you're right. But here's the deal. The bill has already been paid. Jesus Christ came to earth in the form of a man and said, even though I'm sinless, even though I'm perfect, I will take all the sin of the world and I will pay for it like a lamb sacrificed because I'm the only one who's unblemished and sinless. See, I couldn't pay for mine. You can't pay for yours. We already got a debt that we, we can't overcome. Jesus came and he wiped the slate clean. And why did he do it? We just talked about it, out of love. Here's what Paul says in Romans. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and he restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. And God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins that he had so patiently endured. He freely did that, a gift. But just so you know, free does not mean inexpensive. It was Jesus' own blood. It cost him his life. And when Jesus died on the cross, last words, it is what? Finished. Arms outstretched. It is finished. It means the plan of salvation, what he, what he came to do was accomplished. It's done. The payment for everyone's guilt and everyone's sin is fully paid. Now, in the Greek, that phrase that Jesus said is one word. We have, it is finished, but it was one word, and it was a legal term. When someone paid off a bill, and it was free and clear, they would stamp that word. When someone was done with a prison term, and they were getting out, that's what they would stamp on the release papers. Done, paid for, over. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that's what he said. It's over. So can I say, if you're walking around carrying this load of guilt, you're carrying guilt that is unnecessary because Jesus has already paid for it fully, nothing left over. He was the lamb that was sacrificed, literally slaughtered so that you and I could have life. Man, what are the odds of that? Paul wrote this, God saved you by his special favor when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation isn't a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. It's all Jesus. Write this down for the last one. Jesus is the lamb who is here to bring me life. I wanna finish this message just with something a little bit different and I don't wanna to add to the complexity to the simple truth of this good news because what, what I've shared with you is literally the gospel. 
which means good news. That Jesus is the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice to pay my debt of sin. That's the truth for each of us today. But I came across something in the Bible as I was studying that was just kind of like a cool moment when you just kind of go, whoa, and you see these things. So again, follow with me for a minute. Back before Moses is on the scene, there's a man named Abraham. And he's asked by God to sacrifice his son. Sound familiar? Sacrifice of a son? But God was seeing how deep Abraham's faith ran. And so he took his son Isaac, who didn't really know what was going on. And God had never asked for the sacrifice of a child before. But he starts faithfully on his way towards the mountain for this sacrifice. And here's this interchange between father Abraham and son Isaac. Here's what it says, Genesis. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. And here's, he says, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. I think it's just that one line that got me. Where's the lamb? <laughs> like, what, what are we doing here? And while you may never have used those words, I wonder how many of us have thought, is there something that can rescue me? Is it too late? Am I gonna have to manage this on my own? How can I ever be good enough? How can I ever be holy enough? How hard do I have to work and provide and prove myself? Like, where is the lamb? Where is the sacrifice for me? 2,000 years after that Abraham moment, John the Baptist says this. We read it earlier. He saw Jesus and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Where's the lamb? He's right there. It's Jesus He's our hope. He's our rescue. He's the one who can save us. And if you've been looking for truth about life and meaning and purpose, you're not going to find it in a creed or a quest or a set of rules. It's Jesus, the Lamb of God, who paid the price for my sin and yours, a price that we could never pay. And then he offers us life if we accept his payment for our sin. Here's what Paul wrote. But now God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight. Not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the scriptures long ago. We're made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we can all be saved in this same way, no matter who we are or what we've done. For all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet now God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. And he has done this through Christ Jesus who's freed us by taking away our sins. He did it for us. See that cross right there? We had some super creative people make that out of wood and metal. They did a great job. And I love it. But can I tell you, we kind of try to do the same thing. We try to build our own cross. We try to build our own bridge, our own way to God. We take our smarts and our good deeds and our hard work and our trying to be good enough and we try to make it happen. But you and I, we can't pay the price that way. Jesus was the sacrifice. He died on the cross so you wouldn't have to. And he rose to life so you could experience life. And he takes all of our sin, all of our past, all of our hurts, all of our habits and hangups, and he exchanges those for life and hope and forgiveness and heaven. 
So if you've been looking to life, looking to kind of find life, trying to really live, you're not going to find it until you come to Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. As we close this time, I just feel we'd be totally missing something if it didn't give you an opportunity to respond and say, I want to take hold of the sacrifice that was done for me. I want to find Jesus as my Lord and leader, as my savior and rescuer. I want to know him that way and be fully forgiven and set free. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer and ask everyone to pray it along with me. But if you're here today and you say, Dave, I want to know Jesus Christ in my life. I want to receive that gift and find forgiveness. If that's you, no one looking around, would you just raise your hand? Say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, 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 I see you. Yeah, I see you in the back up here. Yeah, I see you. Would you pray this with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me more than I deserve. Thank you for going to the cross and paying my price. I confess my sin and I choose to follow you. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. Jesus, thank you so much for your amazing love and your grace. Thank you that you never let us go, that you've got us. Thank you, Lord, that you come to set us free and forgive us that you are the Lamb of God that takes away not just the sin of the world in some generic way, but my sin, and you set me free. So, Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we honor you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, if you took that step, I want to encourage you to text the word decision to 209-667-5433. You'll get a text right back. And we just want to be praying for you as you take these very first steps of faith. So as we finish, I want to give you this one scripture that we read already in 1 Peter, but I want you to hear this. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, right? It's an empty life. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Man, let that resonate in you through this season as you prepare for Easter, that God gave it all for you. Hey, don't forget that right after this, in fact, in just a few minutes over in building 109, right out here, we're going to have kind of a volunteer Easter gathering kind of info. It won't last really long. I hope you can come and help us. Have an amazing day. You're dismissed.